We took a brief hiatus for a couple of weeks from the book of Colossians, but I think this morning it's time to return. So if you have your Bible here today, you can find your way over to the New Testament book of Colossians. We're still in chapter 1, and I will begin in verse 20 here in a moment. Now, every once in a while, we hear incredible stories of sacrifice that not only humble us, but inspire us as well. And often, these stories show the best of humanity and the worst of humanity at the same time. I read a story not too long ago from March 24th, 2018. It was in the BBC. It involved a French policeman named Arnon Beltram. Listen to what happened as he reported for his shift one day. The article said that a terrorist declaring allegiance to the Islamic State burst into a supermarket in Trebez, France, armed with a handgun, a hunting knife, and three homemade bombs. He shot two people dead and took hostages. Officer Beltram was the first law enforcement officer on the scene. The French police negotiated for the release of the hostages, but the terrorist was unwilling to let his last hostage go, a female cashier of the market. That's when Officer Beltram did something incredible. He stepped forward, dropped his weapon, and offered his life in exchange for the hostage to go free. Surprisingly, the terrorist agreed. And after a three-hour standoff, with no peaceful resolution in sight, the SWAT team made their move. In a final effort to do evil before he was killed, the terrorist shot Officer Beltram. And as Beltram's story became known, the French Prime Minister declared him a national hero and awarded him the nation's highest award by inducting him into the Legion of Honor. Now in that example, in that true story of the police officer who trades places with the hostage, we have a picture of a reconciler. That is, someone who steps in to negotiate peace between hostile parties. It's really a picture of the gospel. And in essence, according to Paul, that's what Jesus has done for you and for me. He stands as a mediator between a holy God and sinful man, and it is by His death, His sacrifice, His atonement, that He appeased the wrath of God so that we are no longer enemies with God. Now, salvation is such a wonderful miraculous event that the Bible doesn't use just one word to describe it. As you study the New Testament, you'll see that sprinkled throughout are terms that with various nuance of meaning describe what happened the moment we believed and received God's mercy and grace. There are words that maybe you know well, like justification, redemption, forgiveness, adoption, and yes, reconciliation. In justification, the sinner stands in God's courtroom guilty and condemned, but is declared righteous based on the saving work of Christ. It's to be treated just if I'd never sinned. 
In redemption, we see a picture there where the sinner stands before God as a slave, but is granted freedom because of the ransom fee that Christ paid with His own life. In forgiveness, the sinner stands before God as a debtor, and yet the debt is removed by Christ. In adoption, the sinner stands before God as an orphan, but God makes them a son or a daughter, adds him into his forever family based on what Jesus has done. And then finally, in reconciliation, we see that the sinner stands before God as an enemy, but they are made a friend. Peace is declared and enmity is removed. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, what we see here this morning is what I call Operation Reconciliation. And here Paul explains exactly what Christ has done for us and how far-reaching this ministry of reconciliation is and how God calls us to be reconcilers in our ministry. Now, if you are taking notes today, I want you to read with me in verse 20, and we'll see the first point, which is the plan of reconciliation. The plan of reconciliation. In fact, let's back up just to verse 19. We'll get a running start before we dive in. Verse 19, For in Him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20, And watch this, Through Him, there's the word, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Stop right there. Notice that phrase, all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Do you know that God's plan of reconciliation goes far beyond just the saving of souls? It's crucial that we notice that little phrase there in verse 20 because it underlines for us the cosmic and epic scope of God's reconciliation plan. Not only do we live under the curse of sin and death, but did you know that so does all of creation. Paul writes about this in Romans 8 in a parallel passage. Notice it's on the screen. Romans 8, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope, verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. We live on a sin-cursed earth. Uh, we wake up every day in the shadow of death to take that long, slow march to the grave. As you look in the mirror and you see time and entropy take over your body, friend, it's a reminder that we are in desperate need of redemption. The soul needs to be delivered. The body needs to be delivered. This cursed earth needs to be reversed. You see, you'll remember that when Adam fell in the Garden of Eden, the crown toppled from his head. And in that he lost the right to rule over the earth. Paradise was lost. Thorns and thistles soon crept in. Decay and death started the universe toward its inevitable process of breakdown. And this planet, uh, though beautiful as it is, uh, though a picture of God's creative majesty, is a marred masterpiece. 
I don't have to tell you that as you live through last year and as you see the news coming in. It's a world of famine and war and disease, hatred and pollution, racism and deception. I could go on and on. You know, there are many in the world who have no hope. And because of the, what they see going on on our planet, they have said that we as a species are doomed. You hear a lot in the news today about plans to put a colony on Mars. In fact, just this week we saw in the news that NASA landed another rover on the red planet. Maybe you heard the name Elon Musk. He's the CEO of SpaceX. He is heavily invested on establishing a colony there on Mars. Listen to what he said about his plans in an interview. He said, quote, We should view Mars as a life insurance policy for humanity. He continued, he said, If we are a multi-planetary species, that would reduce the possibility of some single event, man-made or natural, taking out civilization as we know it. He said it makes the future far more inspiring if we are out there among the stars. We could move to another planet if we needed. And then he said, we shouldn't have all our eggs in one basket. Friend, that may be an admirable goal. And I have no problem with Mr. Musk, but I'm telling you today that I'm not counting in a man-made solution to save me. I, I, I'm not having my hope today in NASA or in the CDC or in the stock market or in the White House. No, friend. I'm trusting in Jesus' plan of Operation Reconciliation which says, Behold, I'm coming soon. Behold, I'm making all things new. You see, friend, what Paul is getting us to understand here is that the plan of reconciliation goes far further than just your entrance into heaven. Oh, Christ's death on the cross, His resurrection from the grave began a process of divine takeover. Did you know that our enemy Satan is living on borrowed time? And every day he's getting closer to his eventual defeat by Jesus Christ. That's why he's fighting so hard the way he is in this time and era. He knows that the sand in the hourglass is drawing nigh for him because when Jesus comes and he puts his feet back here on planet earth, he's going to reconcile every speck of dirt, every atom and every molecule back to the rightful position to its creator. Uh, he didn't come to take sides, but he did come to take over. Oh, friend, the plan of reconciliation. Randy Alcorn said this in his book on heaven. Listen to this. He said, quote, Whatever sin has touched and polluted, God will redeem and cleanse. Whatever the extent of the consequences of sin, so must the extent of redemption be. God hasn't changed His mind or fallen back to plan B or abandoned what He originally intended for us at the creation of the world. God doesn't throw away His handiwork. Instead, He uses the same canvas, He said, to repair and make more beautiful the painting marred by the vandal. Put your hope in the reconciliation plan of Jesus Christ. You see, it involves prosperity. 
that Jesus is going to reconcile the difference between rich and poor because the book of Joel, verse 24 in chapter 2, says that when He comes to rule, that the threshing floors will be full of grain and the vats will overflow with wine. Uh, He's going to reconcile the prosperity difference. He's going to reconcile the differences between the nations and bring world peace. Isaiah 11 and verse 6, the Bible says that when Jesus comes to reign, that the wolf will lay down with the lamb and the small child will play over the hole of the cobra while his reconciliation plan even includes the animal kingdom. He'll be able to do what no statesman or politician has ever done. And then that plan of reconciliation will bring praise to the whole earth. The Bible says in Habakkuk 2 and verse 14 that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God's glory as the waters cover the sea. Friend, where's your hope today? Is it in a man-made solution? We don't have to worry about man destroying planet earth because God already has a plan for that in the book of Revelation. He'll take care of everything. He'll redeem it all and then He'll give it to the Son, Jesus Christ. That's the plan of reconciliation. Are you blessed today? Well, if that didn't bless you, maybe what also is found in verse 20 will Bless you. Notice the provision of reconciliation. The provision. How was this reconciliation paid for? Look what the last part of verse 20 says. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Watch this. Making peace by the blood of his cross. That's the payment. That's the provision. Charles Spurgeon, that great preacher of the Victorian era wrote this. He said, The Bible is a bloody book. Cut it anywhere and it will bleed. There's a scarlet thread of redemption that runs from Genesis to Revelation. The sacrifices of the Old Testament were only pointing forward to the Lamb of God who would come and take away the sin of the world. Friend, it's always been about the blood of God's only Son. In Genesis 22, when Abraham took Isaac up to the top of Mount Moriah, and as he was about to plunge that knife into the heart of his son, God stopped him. The angel of the Lord said, Look over, and there the ram caught in the thicket. God Himself will provide the sacrifice. What a picture of the Son of God who would come 2,000 years later from that moment. His head would be caught in the thicket, so to speak. He would be crowned with thorns. And there on the cross, He would offer His blood as an atoning sacrifice. Friend, I'm telling you, it's always been about the blood. In Exodus chapter 12, it wasn't about the family's riches or the family's religious devotion or what job dad had, or what claim in the community the family might have been able to boast of. The only thing that mattered in Egypt the night that the death angel passed through was who had the blood of the Lamb applied to the lintels of the door. Friend, I'm glad today that the blood was applied to my account long ago. And I don't have to fear death because when it comes for me, it won't be a foe. It'll be a friend that will take me into the 
the presence of Jesus Christ. It's always been about the blood, friend. In Isaiah 53, about 700 years before the coming of Christ, he said, look, there's one coming. He'll be the suffering servant. He'll turn our hearts back to Him. He will be the Lamb slain. Oh, friend, it's about the blood. Paul said it in verse 20, No higher price could have been paid than what it cost God's Son to reconcile you and me to heaven. You know, Satan hates the blood. That's why he deceives so many churches to sanitize the gospel. That's why he's convinced so many churches to take the word blood out of the hymnal. Don't sing about the blood. Don't preach about the blood. That's offensive. That's barbaric. That's archaic. We're modern now. We have sensibilities. We're intelligent and we have technology. Preacher, don't take us back to the blood. That's an offense to man. Friend, let me tell you what the Bible says. It's always been about the blood. That's the provision for my reconciliation. Hebrews 9 and 22 says that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. I can't earn it. I can't work for it. My devotion or my church attendance or my giving won't get me there. There had to be somebody who stood in my place. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 and 19, he says, look, you're not ransomed by the feudal traditions of our forefathers. You're not bought by silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Christ who was like a lamb, listen, without spot or blemish. It's always been about the blood. If you take away the blood, yes, you may be able to fill church pews. Yes, you may make people feel better about themselves as they leave the church. But friend, if you take away the blood, you take away the only means by which you and I have atonement and entry into heaven in the presence of a holy God. I think about Billy Graham. Did you know that when Billy Graham was a young preacher just starting out in the ministry, a professor from Cornell University said to him, Son, you're a dynamic preacher. You have authority, clarity, and simplicity. You can really go places in the world. But I want to suggest to you, he said, leave out all that blood stuff. Billy Graham said this. He said, that blood stuff, what do you mean? The professor said, don't speak about the blood. It's uncultured and offensive. You'll go further if you leave out that message about blood. Billy Graham said, I purposed in my heart then at that moment to preach on the blood of Jesus Christ more than ever before. No wonder God blessed His ministry. Friend, don't dilute the Word of God. Uh, don't rub away the blood of Jesus Christ which carries away our sin. It's so important to the salvation story. I think about missionary Dennis Fulton. I heard his testimony one time. There he is on the screen. Dennis Fulton was a missionary with a group called Wings of Caring. And what he did is he would take his small airplane, load it down with medicines and food and supplies into some of the most remote jungles in the world. He would bring that supply in there and he would work along with missionaries to try and bring the gospel to these primitive people. He said one time he was in the nation of Zaire. 
And they were working to try and bring the gospel to these people. He said he worked there for some time, but found no way to break through the superstition and the witch doctors and the the deep, dark religion of these people there in Zaire. He said, and then one day, he was invited by the tribal chief they were working with to attend a very strange ceremony. He said the people got in a circle. And then the witch doctor of the village stood in the middle of the circle. And a chicken was brought. He gave it to the witch doctor. And the witch doctor wrung the neck of that chicken. And then grabbed it by the feet and swung that chicken around the group. He said as that chicken swung around over the head of that witch doctor, the blood splurted out. And it covered all the people in the blood of the chicken. And he said, I stood there in my white dress shirt covered in chicken blood. He said he went to the tribal chief afterward. He said, explain to me the meaning of this ritual. He said this. He said, we do this once a year. He said, we understand that we've done evil. We understand that we need a sacrifice. And so we kill a chicken and hope that the blood will appease our gods. Dennis Fulton, this missionary, he said, Bingo! He said, I didn't need to go any further. I found my segue into the gospel. He said, what if I told you uh, the, the payment was already made? What if I told you that God sent His only Son and He shed His blood on a wooden altar 2,000 years ago and you don't need to swing a chicken over your head and be covered in the blood of an animal because the debt has already been paid. The chief said, we've never heard about this Jesus before. They repented and the whole village believed in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful today for the blood of God's only Son. I'm thankful today, friend, I don't have to go to an altar and hold a lamb in my hand and slit its throat and capture the blood. I'm thankful today that it's not about what I've done. It's about what He did long ago. I'm thankful today for 1 John 1, 7 that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. Uh, You mean that past sin that's covered me in shame and I can't get over? Yes, You mean the sin of my addiction that I'm covered in right now and I can't get out of? Yes, He'll forgive you of that. You mean the sin I hadn't even committed yet, but one day I will? Yes, all means all, friend. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. It's what gives me assurance today. It's what gives me access to God. It's what gives me victory over the accuser when he comes by my way and says, You're nothing. You're a failure. God's not on your side. I just have to remind Him. Oh, Colossians 1.20 says, I have peace because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, when Satan comes my way, I just remember the old song. Once I wandered in sin's black night, and there was no way I could make my wrongs right. Then the old accuser to the Lord did cry, He's a sinner, and now he must die. Then I heard a voice say, Father, I'll go. I'll pay that sin debt in Calvary's flow. I'll bear in my body the marks of the cross to save this child who is sin sick and lost. You see, friend, I'm trying to tell you today, it's still the blood that cleanses from sin. It's still the blood that cleanses within. 
from the highest star in heaven to the depths of the sea is still the blood of Jesus that gives victory to me. Oh, friend, have you been to the fountain drawn from Emmanuel's veins? Have you had your sins washed away? You have that forgiveness and peace. God loves you today. God will save you today. He'll change your life. He'll give you hope and peace like nothing else in this world. I'm telling you today about the Operation Reconciliation. And so far, number one, we saw the plan. Oh, the plan goes from one edge of eternity to the other. The provision. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. And then I want you to see the peace. The peace of reconciliation. Look here in verse 21. The Bible says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Verse 22. He has now, here it is, reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Watch this. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The Bible says we can have peace with God because of Christ's reconciling work. And Paul gives two spiritual realities that the believer can enjoy. Notice, as we break these verse downs further, the Bible says we are moved near to Christ. We're moved near to Christ. That's what it says there in verse 21. You were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but now He is reconciled. See, reconciliation refers to the removal of a sin barrier that separates us from God. Think back to the Garden of Eden. Think about how sin changed the relationship between God and Adam. Before the fall, Adam enjoyed the fellowship with God. The Bible says that the Lord walked with him in the cool of the day. But then after they partook of that forbidden fruit, immediately after that sin, what do Adam and Eve do? They run and hide. You see, sin brings fear of judgment. Sin brings shame. Sin brings alienation and separation. But Paul says here, look, now that peace has been declared, you can be brought near to God. Isaiah 52 is a good parallel passage. He describes that separation like this. Verse 1, he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or is it dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you that He does not hear. You say, but preacher, I believe in God. I pray. I, I try and do the best I can. But it doesn't seem like God hears me. Maybe because you're not in the family. You see, you have to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You have to be brought near. You have to be saved and born again before God hears those prayers. And the first prayer that God will hear from the lips of a sinner is, Save me, O God, from my iniquity. And the Bible says we can be moved near to Christ. When I read that story, I thought about Ronald Reagan, the great communicator that President Reagan in his most famous speech, I believe, happened in 1987 probably uttered some of the most immortal words of a president. He stood there in front of the, the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin, Germany. And at that time, you need to understand that the Cold War was still going on and that 
East Germany and West Germany was separated by a wall and on the uh, one side was freedom and on the other side was communism and the iron boot. And President Reagan, in that speech, he gave a challenge to Mikhail Gorbachev, the Prime Minister. He turned to him and he said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And two years later, at the stroke of midnight on November the 9th, 1989, that monument of separation came tumbling down. Many of you remember it. They brought jackhammers out. They brought sledgehammers out. They busted down the wall. They hugged necks. There was dancing and freedom. And friend, I'm telling you, there's a picture of what God has done for you and me. I'm thankful that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus Christ hung on that cross between heaven and earth, He cried out, It is finished. He might as well said, Father, tear down this wall. And the hand of God reached into the temple and rent the veil from top to bottom so that we could have access to God, that we could be brought near to Him. And because of that, I can have boldness in prayer. I can go to my God, the Bible says, with boldness into the throne of grace and be brought near to my Father and cast at Him every fear, every care, every worry that I have. He broke down the wall of sin. He broke down the wall of separation today. What side of that wall are you on today? Hey, you can come on over and enjoy the fellowship and the peace of knowing Jesus Christ today. Don't live in the shadow land anymore. Don't live in sin anymore. Hey, the wall's been torn down. Come on over and enjoy the freedom and the nearness of Jesus Christ. Max Licato said this, he said the cross shows us exactly how far God was willing to make reconciliation with sinful man. Reconciliation stitches the unraveled, reverses the rebellion, rekindles the cold passion, and breaks down barriers of sin. Reconciliation, he said, touches the shoulder of the wayward and woos him back home. How many of you have been far away at one time? You wandered out into a desert of sin and disobedience. But God came by in the person of the Holy Spirit and tapped you on the shoulder and said, What are you doing out here? You are a child. Why don't you come back home and enjoy the nearness of fellowship with Him? Praise God for the hound of heaven who's tracked me down more than once and said, Let's go back to the Father's house. We're made near in Christ. And then also verse 22, we're made new in Christ. I hope you're getting a blessing so far. Look at what verse 22 says. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. That's reconciliation. We're made holy by the blood of Christ that canceled out our sin debt. We're made blameless because... We take off the old rags, the old grave clothes of poverty and death, and we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're beyond reproach because the accuser can bring no condemnation against those who are covered in the blood of the Son. We're made new. Listen to what Holocaust survivor Corey Ten Boom said. She wrote, When God forgives, He forgets. 
He buries our sins in the sea and puts a sign on the shore saying, No fishing allowed. Amen? Some of you need to hear that today because you've said, I know God's forgiven me, but I haven't been able to forgive myself. Friend, if God has forgiven you, it's said and done. Stop living in shame and guilt and live in reconciliation today. Some of you also need to hear this as well because it doesn't matter what label the world puts on you, how the world calls you names, doesn't matter what your bank account might say about your socioeconomic status. doesn't matter about your skin color. doesn't matter about your background, friend. If you've been reconciled to Christ, that's the label that really matters. If God says, I'm forgiven. If God says, I'm set free. If God says, I'm new. Then I'm just going to believe Him and live in it. We're made new in Christ. Number four, and I finish with this. We talked about the plan of reconciliation and the provision and the peace. Then number four, I want you to see this. How about the proof? How do I know if I, if I really have been reconciled to Christ? Well, Paul gives a little bit of proof here in verse 23. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul closes this section by elaborating on two ways we can check up on ourselves to know, hey, I have been reconciled, or no, I haven't. The first one that he points out there in verse 23 that I would say is that the reconciled stay with the faith. You see what he says there? If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Now don't get tripped up in this verse. Paul is not saying that we're saved by continuing in the faith. He's saying if we continue in the faith, our perseverance proves that we were saved to begin with. In other words, perseverance with Christ is not the root of salvation, it's the fruit of salvation. We're not saved because we persevere. Instead, we are saved. And because we're saved, we will persevere. That's what Paul's getting at here. Remember when Jesus multiplied the fishes and the loaves? John chapter 6. There's a lot of folk that were there just for the free meal, by the way. They just wanted the next handout. The Bible says that after Jesus did that multiplication that he preached a hard message. In fact, he even told me, he said, look, this is just a symbol. In order to have me, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Very strange message, but he's talking about how that if you want to be saved, you have to know me. You have to have me in your life. I have to be number one in priority. And the Bible says that in John 6, 66, that after that, listen to what it said, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I pray every day that I give, get up, Lord, help me not to turn to the right or to the left. Lord, help me to stay faithful unto you. Lord, help me not to back up, put up, or shut up. Lord, help me to stay on course 
in my ministry, in my marriage, with my children. Lord, I don't want to bring reproach to the name of Jesus Christ because I want to show that I truly have been changed by Jesus. Help me, Lord, to stay with the faith. Sheep, follow the shepherd. That's all that I know how to do. Just follow Jesus. And if you do that enough times, day after day, getting up serve Him, eventually, heaven is the reward. Amen? So the Bible says we have proof of reconciliation by staying with the faith. I think about what old Johnny Tiller used to say. He said, a faith that fizzled before the finish was faulty before the first. And so we have to learn how to sing. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none may follow, no none may go with me, I still will follow. The reconciled stay with the faith. And then I finish with this. The reconciled share the faith. They share the faith. Look at the end of verse 23. What it says there. The hope of the gospel that you heard, watch this, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. There's two dimensions to reconciliation. There's the vertical, which takes place between me and God. But there's another type here that Paul is talking about, the horizontal. And that takes place between man and man. Notice what he says here, that gospel that's been proclaimed. The reconciled, those who have felt the goodness and the grace of God, those who have been washed in the blood, have a desire to share that faith, to share that message with a lost and dying world. And so God calls us to be like Christ in that we take the message of God's reconciliation and we preach it and we live it and we share it with a world that is wandering astray. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, look at what he says there. All this is from God through Christ who reconciled us to Himself and, watch this, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, he said, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making His appeal through us we implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And friend, that's what the Lord has called me to do. People say, preacher, Derek, why do you preach the way that you do? Why do you get loud? Why do you have emotion and passion? Why do you lose your voice sometimes? Why do you sweat and slobber sometimes? It's because I have a ministry of reconciliation and I'm imploring you, come to Jesus Christ. Give your life to Him. He is the fountainhead of all meaning, love, joy, grace, and purpose in this life. Don't wander in sin no more. Don't play games with Satan anymore. Don't think I've got time to get my life ready. No, I implore in you by the passion and the power of Jesus Christ. Be reconciled unto Him. Because friend, He's worthy. He's great. So you say, well, how can I be a reconciler? You can be a reconciler when you share Christ with the world and say, listen, God has peace for you. You can be a reconciler in the world when you choose to forgive 
and say, I'll not hold that against that person anymore. You can be a reconciler when you endeavor to be a peacemaker in your family, at your workplace, in your church. You can be a reconciler when you serve sacrificially. You can be a reconciler when you love the lost. We've all been called to it. I think about the story as I finish today that is told about Peter Cartwright. In the early days of this country, Peter Cartwright was a circuit-riding Methodist preacher. Back in the days when the Methodists used to get excited and shout, be excited about the Lord. But here's, he got the nickname God's Plowman. The story is told that Peter Cartwright was, in, was preaching in a Pennsylvania town. The crowd that day gathered into the many hundreds. There were two young men who came that day, bitter enemies. In fact, they had been feuding over a girl. They were both toting pistols. And the last time they met, they swore that if they saw each other, there'd be a fight and they'd kill each other if they got the chance. Well, the crowd was so huge that day that unknown to these two young men, they were both in the crowd when they showed up to hear this renowned preacher. Cartwright preached hot and heavy. Listen to this, for two hours. Somebody say amen. I'm about to wind this thing down. Preached for two hours, hot and heavy, about hell and those who reject Christ. The invitation was given, and during that invitation, one of those young men came down to the altar. And as he came down to the altar, he began to confess to Peter Cartwright that he had hatred in his heart. He said, Preacher, I want to give you this. And he pulled out his gun, and he handed it to the preacher. He said, I intended on killing a man, but if Jesus has really saved me, then I don't need to do that. About that time, Peter Cartwright turned around. He said the other young man was on the other side of the altar. He walked over to him, prayed. He said, Preacher, that man over there, I was going to kill him. But then I heard about God's grace and God's forgiveness. And I want to give you my pistol as well. Well, the story says that Peter Cartwright held up those two pistols and said, Behold, the power of the gospel to make friends out of enemies. And friend, that's what God can do. And when we've been reconciled to Christ, we can be reconciled to others. Do you know Jesus today? Are you truly reconciled to Him? Hey, I want you to know the day that He loves you. He died for you. And He wants to save you and give you hope and purpose in life. As Preston's coming, as our musicians are coming, we're going to open up our altar. Maybe you need to respond today. You need to repent of some sin. I'm telling you, Jesus is full of grace and mercy. He'll change your life. You'll be brought near to Him and be given a, a fresh start. I pray that you'll be obedient to God today. Maybe you just need to pray. The altar is going to be open for that. Maybe you need to confess something to the Lord. You've been holding on to, to something and, and you need to let it go. Hey, we, we, we'll take care of that too today. You be obedient to what God wants you to do in this moment as we stand. Brother, lead us.